work. This week I was uh, blown away when Holly shared a message that uh, Jamie had shared this week about the doctor that was uh, with them this week, who had excellent bedside manner, I'll say. It was one of our own. It was Gabe Rendon. I think about the hours of prep that he has been involved with over the years for just moments like this, that all of us wouldn't know what to say or do, but I'm grateful for that kind of work. And it's, it's that that is really what I want to focus on over these next seven weeks is God is preparing each of us for a calling, for a work, for a vocation that matters deeply, sometimes in the most important moments of other people's lives and sometimes in ways we'll never know. When I, when I made my decision to follow Jesus, just as so many of you have, I, it was a decision that wasn't one that came with an on or off switch. This was an all-pervasive commitment that we make. And so many of us have made that decision that we're going to follow Jesus. And, and it's not just a Sunday commitment for us. It means that that shapes our life, the way we interpret all of our lives. It shapes our callings. It shapes our work. It shapes even the way we see suffering and difficulty. And so when I think about our work and, and I think about this conversation about calling and work, I, I want us to realize that when we chose to follow Jesus, it was not a, it, it was a 24-7, 365, 366 day on leap year type commitment, right? And if you've chosen to commit your life to Jesus, this is the commitment you've made. If you've not yet made that decision, I want to let you know we are so glad that you are here and we want to welcome you on that same journey. We want to invite you into that life and that decision because it can reshape everything about your life and it gives us security. It, just talking with Corey this week, there was a sense of security in knowing the decision he's made shapes no matter where this journey goes. But in over 33 years of faithful church attendance, some forced and some chosen, I've never heard a sermon on work before. Not a sermon about all of this time. I mean, there are people that estimate that 150,000 hours of our lives are committed to work of some kind. And yet what we focus on here is how do we get church done correctly? How do we check off the boxes? How do we make sure our life is aligned correctly? But what about the other six days of the week? That matters too, doesn't it? And I want to clarify as I'm talking about this, what I'm saying, because I know it may be easy for some of you to say, well, I I can check out for seven weeks because he's not talking about me because you're in a different stage of life. And maybe you think this doesn't apply. I want to Assure all of you, this applies to all of us. And for some of us, it's a more traditional work. It's 40 to 50 hours in an office someplace. And so this will be a real quick tie that we can make to our work. But for those of you who are stay-at-home moms and dads, I want to assure you, you have a calling and you have a vocation and you have an important work. And it matters deeply to the kingdom of God. It matters deeply for the next generation. For those of you who are retirees, and maybe you're thinking, yeah, this would have made sense long ago. I'm not sure what this means for me today. Let me remind you, Moses didn't get his calling to ministry until he was 80 in a full sense. Some of you are still waiting on your calling, even though you stepped out of the traditional sense of what work is. You have a calling, you have a vocation, you have important work to do, whether that's with grandkids that you're helping to raise, or whether that's trying to figure out what your next passion and work and how you'll spend the rest of your life. It matters deeply and it matters to God those years. And for some of you who aren't sure how to answer the question right now, when someone asks the question, what do you do? It's the question you dread most because right now you're between work. I want to assure you in this season that God still has work ahead of you, but it's not just ahead of you when that job finally arrives. You have calling and you have work and you have vocation. You have good works that God has called in advance for you 
to do. So when we talk about this conversation about good work, often I'm going to refer to employers and employees. I'm going to talk about the office workplace, but I want to assure you, this is about all of us. And it may be the season you're in. It may be a season you're you've stepped out of, or it may be a season that God is calling you into. And I realize that some of you right now are thinking about, maybe this is a time for a job change. Maybe there's, maybe you're looking for that next job right now. And I hope this conversation will help as we have good work conversations in our community groups that, that you'll allow that to be a group you can be vulnerable and honest with and, and, and just really dig into what is it that God has called you to do? How has he uniquely shaped you? For the next seven weeks, we're going to have a conversation about what our work has to do with our commitment to follow Jesus. And I want to connect how what you do matters to the kingdom of God, and it matters to God. Your work matters. I'm going to repeat that again and again in this series. And I know some of you think, Colin, you have no idea what I do. My work does not matter. I want to reframe that because I don't believe that. I don't believe that's the case. I don't know all of your situations at your work, but I imagine this in my conversations I have with you. Some of you hate your job and you're dreading having to go in tomorrow morning once again because you're fulfilling a commitment you've made. And, and let me just say, it's noble work just to put food on the table for your family. Just because your calling may not line up with your abilities or you think you're maybe more advanced than what your job's calling you to do right now or maybe your jo- dream job's still out there, your work matters right now. And I want to connect that in this series. Some of you are, are, are putting up with your job right now, right? You're finding some meeting, and, and, but boy, you're tired by the end of the week and wish you didn't have to go back. Some of you, though, you love your job. You found your calling. You found how it fits perfectly. And all of us come together in this conversation. But what I believe to ground this conversation is this. Our work matters. And I want to connect that to the story of God this morning. Let's pray as we open God's word. God, we, uh, we ask this morning that you would help us see in a greater way how the calling you've given to us, the work that you've provided, whether that's paid or it's not paid, God, that it is something that matters deeply to you. And it has a chance for recrafting and reshaping this world in ways you desire it, that to be done. So God, today, I know some want to laugh at this idea of work mattering because it just doesn't feel like it right now. And God, I, I, I just I, I speak to that tenderly this morning and pray your spirit would guide in that situation. For God, for those who are thinking about career shifts, or maybe retirement on the, on the horizon. God, I pray you'd help all of us consider how the other six days and all that we do in our lives matters deeply. Help us see it today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Why do you work? There are all stories that we tell ourselves about why we work. Some of it we work because we've got to provide to put food on the table. It's as simple as that, right? Food, shelter, and bluebell ice cream. That's good enough for us, right? Some of us work because we don't know what we would do otherwise, because enough reruns of Price is Right is just too much than we can handle. Some of us work because it honors our family. Uh, some of us work because we're trying to find meaning, and we do find meaning in our work. And some of us work as a means of smuggling Jesus into every nook and cranny of this culture. But no matter the story you tell around work, I, I think the understanding I got of work growing up just caught it more than I was taught it. I told you I never remember a sermon about this necessarily, but what I caught was that there's several stories that we can make sense of why our work matters as a Christian. One is, if I make enough money, then I can contribute to the cause of full-time ministers who do the real work of the kingdom, which I want to just demolish that idea through this series, okay? Now, it's important that you give the Levites, for instance, even in the temple time, right? They are able to set aside their work, and others contribute to that task. That's been done through the century. So don't stop giving. I'm not suggesting that, but I am suggesting work may be more than that. 
Others of us think about our work and we think about, well, this is really just an opportunity to be evangelistic, right? And so we, we partner with those who are around us. We have a people that we get to share the story of Jesus with. And I want to encourage you in that. That's important. But our work matters for more reasons than even that. And, and some of us, we work because we have to. Work is a necessary evil. But church, work is not a four-letter word. Yeah, it is four letters. I get that. But it's not a bad word in the way we've said that. That's an ancient idea. The Greeks believe that kind of thing, but we come from a different worldview, don't we? Let me go back to the Greeks for a moment and think about how we began to think about work and all the negative ways we tend to think about it. The ancient view of work was that it was a bad thing. It was reserved for those who didn't have the mental capacity to do the work of the higher classes. It was a very stratified work system in that culture. And the story they told about the gods is the gods were up someplace else in a better world in paradise. And we live in the shadow world and we do the work as humans, the minions for the gods that don't have to work. So that means even within the class structure, those who didn't have to do the menial work, didn't get their hands dirty. That work is somehow more meaningful and God's designed things in a certain way that you don't step out of. In fact, Aristotle said that unemployment, by which he meant the ability to live without having to work, was a primary qualification for a genuinely worthwhile life. Just think about that view of the universe. The gods live somewhere else, and if we could be closer to them, then God must organize the classes in a way that those who can do the most work without having to get their hands dirty in a better place. God's blessed them in some way. He's put them there. In fact, Aristotle famously said that some people were born to be slaves. That's what he believed. They didn't have the capacity. The highest form of work was the most cognitive and manual labor the gods didn't have to do, so that must mean the same for humans. Modern people bristle at the outrage of such an idea that people would be born to be slaves. That's beyond us. But at the same time, we live in a world with hierarchy, don't we? And those of us who make more We have a way of paying those to do the work that we don't want to do. And so we still live in a stratified society with a hierarchy. And there's a sense of this Greek worldview that lives with us that shapes the way we think about our work. The Greek gods would never humble themselves to do the work of moving their hands around to do anything in the world. That was the work of humans. But in in the Christian story, God shows up on the scene as what? He shows up as a gardener, doesn't he? He shows up getting his hands dirty in the dirt of the earth. And when Jesus shows up on the earth, he shows up not as the son of a prince or a king who was above that kind of work. He showed up as the son of a carpenter, likely would have known that trade well. Genesis 1 and 2 is basically a story about how God got his hands dirty. And it's a counter story to all the other stories that are being told about the gods who would never lift their finger to do such a thing. The Bible begins to talk about work as soon as it talks about anything. Because when God creates the world, he creates it in what? A seven-day work week, doesn't he? And he gets his hands dirty. He creates out of the dust of the earth these humans who were to go about this task. But it's not just God who has the honor of working, seen as a positive thing. He gives us, he gives humans, created in his image, the right to continue this work in the world. To co-create with him. Think about the earth and the way we see it and understand it. God gave us this untapped resource, right? It was supposed to be create all these things. And yeah, fossil fuels have their cap, but so many other things regenerate themselves. And we're to take the dirt of the ground and to continue to bring life out of more and more things. We all work in industry to take the world God has given us and to be about the task created in the image of a God who creates to create with him. This world in Genesis 1 is designed as a world with the plan of a craftsman, not a God who's above work. 
It's not the aftermath of a battle, a bloody battle between gods. It's a plan of a craftsman who makes the world as an artist, who spawns off more artists to continue the work. In that world, in the Greek view of creation, the world just kind of generated its own fruit without any need for human work. But that's not the Christian story, is it? Adam's called into the garden to work the soil, to work the ground. In the beginning, here's what I want to say. In the beginning, God worked. And I don't know about you, but I've always assumed that work was a consequence of the fall, right? Because we hear the curse and we, we hear that thorns and thistles are going to come and work becomes more difficult. But I want it to be real clear this morning that work is not a consequence of the fall. Work is something that was established to be a good thing, that God designed as good before the curse made it more difficult. God worked for the sheer joy of it and found satisfaction. He called it good. And it's not just God who's working. He calls on us to continue that task, to move dirt and to cultivate culture. Think about just the move of scripture itself, right? Genesis starts and there's a tree of life and there's a a river of life. And in Revelation 21 and 22, the tree of life and the river of life is still there. But something's changed, hasn't it? Because in the beginning, it's a garden with untapped resources, with no civilization. But at the end, the new Jerusalem is there. It's a city with walls and a foundation. The move of Scripture is a move from taking God's good earth and crafting it and moving it and turning it into cities and into civilization. I think back just to the beginning. Turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, God gives two commands at the very beginning. You remember what they are? I want to read them to you from Genesis 1, verse 28. I think these two key commands are important for us to recall as we think about our work. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now, let me say, we've done quite well with command number one, haven't we? Be fruitful and multiply. If there's any command we've pulled off well, this is it, right? Seven billion people on planet Earth. It's okay to chuckle. This is church, I know. But but command number two is, is what? We haven't talked as much about this one. You're to subdue the earth. You're to rule over, to have dominion over. And we've obviously made a mess of it at times. We've also done great work to cultivate what was to what has become as well. Subdue the earth, rule over. The word subdue indicates that though God had made everything that was good, he, he'd suggest also that there, it's a great degree undeveloped. God left creation with untapped potential to cultivate the earth and to create all kinds of things. I'll talk more about this idea of cultivation next week because I think it's vital for us to understand what we're doing in all of our work. Genesis 2.15, it continues in this task of work. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. This is such an important understanding of work because work in this world in Genesis 1 and 2 is not a necessary evil. It's not a four-letter word. It's not a consequence of sin. Work is part of what it means to be created in the image of God and fulfill the commands he gave to us. In Genesis chapter 1, God is not just creating people, he's creating partners. You're not just a human being with all these great gifts that God has given you. God has called you to partner in his ongoing creation of the world to make it better. And this is a distinctively Christian act to see our work as tied up in God's work in this world. And this is why this is so important. Because we develop a way of talking about God where God is most active in buildings like this. And it's almost as if he's non-existent or doesn't work at all in places outside of these walls. We've begun to think that God is at church, but he's not really at work. This is though a series about how God views our work and how God is working through our work. Because chances are you are making a larger difference than you can even see with your own eyes. 
I mentioned this in the promo video, so you might have already heard this, so I stole my own glory a little bit, but there's a guy in the Old Testament I don't remember a BBS story about. His name is Bezalel. I don't know if you remember this story or you got, went back to look at it. It's in Exodus 31. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open there. But I think it's fascinating that Bezalel is the first person that's described as being filled with the Spirit of God. Not Adam. He gets the breath of life put into him. It's not Eve. It's not any of the patriarchs or their children. It's Bezalel who's first described as having the Spirit of God. Listen to who Bezalel is. Exodus 31, beginning in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of crafts. Bezalel's like the modern version of, or ancient version of Chip and Joanna Gaines, right? He brings his artistic craft and he uses it on God's behalf. And and the first person God chooses to fill with the Spirit of God isn't Moses. It's not Aaron. It's not Miriam in this story. It's Bezalel of all people. See, the truth is, the biblical view is not that full-time ministers are doing the most important work. We've divided our world up where sacred and secular means that sacred work is more important. Sacred happens here. But I'm here to tell you, All of your work because you were created in the image of God and have a spirit within you is sacred work. There is no square inch of creation that's not spiritual, right? All of this is not divided dualistically. Your work matters. How you do it matters. The ethics you bring to it, the effort you bring to it, all of it matters. I love this quote from Martin Luther about that idea. Listen to this. The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Think about it. Like When you think about those heroes in Scripture that you have thought about all these years, very few of them are preachers or prophets. They don't do work in buildings like this. They're tent makers, aren't they? They're accountants and they're bankers. They're people who are raising families. They're just normal, everyday people. But somewhere along the lines, we divided this out and thought some work was more important than others. My job here, and the the job of this leadership, is not to do the main work of ministry. Our job here, as it's described in Ephesians 4, is to equip the body of believers for works of service. It's to equip the body of believers to take all of the gifts that you all have and to send you out to be full-time ministers where you are. In many ways, the way I view it, your work is so much more important than what mine is. And yet sometimes we elevate positions to think, no, 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 if I really want to do God's work, I have to go get a degree at a Christian university. I need to work in a church building. It's bogus. The job of leaders here is to equip you so that you can see the task that's there in front of you, the people that are in front of you, and see it as true kingdom work. You are missionaries on a mission. Somewhere along the way, again, we got a different view. But that worldview about work being bad or evil or that better work is done in churches isn't from the scriptures that we read. In fact, think back to the story of Nehemiah for a second. Nehemiah, Old Testament guy, he's living in exile, right? He's been taken off because he has something to offer in another land. There are people that are left behind in the ruins of Jerusalem, right? The Anawim, those that are kind of left behind that no one really wants. 
And, 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 and so this story is told in Nehemiah about Nehemiah petitioning the king of Persia. Hey, let me go back because the, the wall needs to be rebuilt. We need to build up the city ruins that have been tr- uh, trampled down. So the king of Persia sends him with resources and sends him with, with, with people to go with him. You remember what happens as the story goes along? I want to pick this up in, in the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bibles, turn there if you would. Nehemiah 6. Before I read that, I want to set this up. Think for a moment about this work of stacking bricks for a wall. The people of God have stacked bricks before, haven't they? When they were in Egypt, that was their whole quota. That was their whole work was to create bricks. At one point, they had to do it without straw, right? This is what the people of God did for centuries without God ever showing up on the scene or them having any picture that they were doing anything for God. They have quotas and they make bricks and they stack bricks. Bricks and bricks and bricks. That's their work all day, every day. And they don't think it has anything to do with who God is or what he's calling them to do. But listen to the same work of stacking bricks when it comes to this wall that's being built in Jerusalem. They're no longer slaves working. They're not partners with God. Nehemiah 6, beginning in verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. They worked with the help of their God. Now think about this work. In our minds, it doesn't seem particularly spiritual, does it? Stacking bricks to create walls around a city? It's not spiritual work. That's just grunt work, isn't it? And if you were to see this act today somewhere, no one would think this is a supernatural act or extraordinary in any way. You don't think that when you look at the freshman center that's being built as those workers put brick on top of brick. But the story that's told here is this normal, mundane, everyday act is actually extraordinary work, and God is somewhere in the midst of it. They're not just building a wall, they're building the city of God. And I have to wonder, how would we think about our work differently if we saw God tied up in our work in just the same way? Yeah, it may just be a wall, it may just be an account that you're settling, it may just be a student or paperwork in schools, let's be honest, that you're getting. The story that Nehemiah is telling is that it's even bigger than that. Your work matters, that God is tied up on it, that it has implications for things you can't even imagine. And as some of you are students and you're thinking about the next step in your journey, I want you to think about this as you dream of what you're going to do one day. Don't just go do what somebody else told you to do. Find out how your work is tied up in God's work in the world and go pursue it and see it. These are not just a bunch of ordinary guys stacking ordinary bricks. They're rebuilding the city of God. Just look around the room for a moment. If you've been here for any amount of time, you know the kinds of professions that people work around here. It's amazing when I look out about people who gather here on a Sunday morning, they're sent forth, and yet we don't give any vision about how that might matter for the kingdom. Some of you make those ties and you're making a difference, but I want to see more of that in these days to come, that you'll see more of how your work matters deeply to the kingdom. You've committed yourselves to all kinds of professions. And many of you feel a deep sense of calling to the work that you do, and others, you can't see a tie to anything that seems to matter. But over the next seven weeks, I want us to recover a sense of the importance of the work that we have. Whether that's work 40 hours a week, or that's work that's something God is calling us to in our later years, or whether that's the work of raising kids when it seems like you can never even keep the house clean enough, because it's just one more day after a day, right? Now you realize that when you're a follower of Jesus, you're a double agent, right? Yes, you work for your employer, and that work for your employer matters, and it matters that you do that work well. But there's more going on than just that. 
At least that's the way Paul talks about it in Colossians. Let me take us there for one last passage before we close our time this morning. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Listen to these words. Maybe this is something a card you want to put somewhere above your workstation or at home or someplace in your car as you go to work. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Let me assure you, God is not just found in church buildings one day a week. God is found on your job site, even with the most difficult conversations with bosses that you have that you wish something would happen. And sometimes we wonder, maybe the area is gray and we're not sure quite how the ethics work out. We'll talk about that a little later in the series. Some of you may feel like, I just don't know. Does God call me to specific work? How do I know if this is really what God has for me? And some of you are just saying, if I could just get enough to get by this next week without having to work three jobs, that would be enough. But wherever you find yourselves, what I want to assure you is this. God is in the business of what your business is. And there may be difficult conversations about what it looks like to follow Jesus in the workplace. It may be difficult to wade into the gray of your workspace with the employees you work with. Or maybe it just doesn't seem like it matters to anyone or anything. In our conversations beginning this week in our groups, what I want to encourage you to do is to talk about that. Talk about the questions you have. Bring to that group for discernment maybe the callings that you feel God might be moving you forward to. It's better to discern that in community rather than just decide that on our own. And so these groups will be really important for helping us see the meaning in our work and having others call out the abilities and the gifts that we have, the talents, and connecting God's kingdom to the work that seems so mundane. Tonight, uh, you'll have that chance. Throughout the week, you'll have that chance. I'll have a Facebook Live video up in just a little bit so we can have a recap for those who you'll invite into this conversation who weren't here today. But what's important is that we continue this conversation because this isn't just what I'm sharing with you. It's about how God works through his spirit in each and every one of us to help us discern and discover the ways of the kingdom. Our prayer is that his kingdom would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray that all the time, don't we? That's not just what happens here. It's not just my calling. I want to assure you it's in your calling that matters deeply. And this morning may not be enough to convince you of this. But I hope that over the next seven weeks in conversation with others, you'll begin to see perhaps a little bit more of why your work matters. Because as Colossians tells us, we work for God. But let me assure you this, God is also at work. Let's close with a time of prayer this morning. Oh God, you are our God and earnestly we seek you. We long for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. We long for you in a city and a county, God, a a place that you have laid your spirit in the midst of all kinds of work, work that we get to see, work that we get to see the outcome of, and other work that we don't seem to see any impact at all. God, I pray this morning for teachers who will enter into classrooms this week. I pray for people who will be creating order in workplaces through their work in the late hours of the morning as they clean workspaces for others that are seen as much more important through pay and otherwise. I I pray this morning for moms who are at their wits end and are trying to figure out how to balance work and life in the home. And I pray also for moms and dads who are figuring out what it looks like to, to be at home and find meaning in that in the midst of the moments it doesn't seem to matter. God, I pray for the accountant who's going into his office, God. I pray for the doctor in 
for her work this week with patience that they'll see in their worst of moments. I pray for people who are dreaming and scheming of ways to pull Jesus into every nook and cranny and corner of this world, and I pray that you would help them see in all their work that you are at work there. Help them to find meaning in it, God. Help them to see the people around them as opportunities to be pastors to, God, shepherds to. Because there are so many sheep, God, that need shepherds in our world, and that's not going to happen for everyone here on Sunday morning. But I thank you that you've called people to do that throughout the week. In the name of Jesus, God, that we pray this prayer. Amen.